0: Huawei is accused of aiding government surveillance programs in Zambia and Uganda. Cyber gangs are adapting to law enforcement, and they've turned to big game hunting to do it. They're also turning legitimate tools to criminal purposes. U.S. federal prosecutors indicate they intend to add charges to those the alleged Capital One bank hacker faces. And there's a new tool out there for detecting gas pump pay card skimmers. From the Cyberwire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Tamika Smith sitting in for Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Thursday, August 15, 2019. The Wall Street Journal reports that Huawei has embedded technicians in the governments of Zambia and Uganda to help those governments organize and operate extensive domestic surveillance programs. The company has been working to gain a commanding presence in African markets. Meanwhile, Huawei denies any wrongdoing. A Huawei spokesman told the journal the company never engaged in hacking activities in a statement. It goes on to point out, quote, Huawei rejects completely these unfounded and inaccurate allegations against our business operations. Our internal investigation shows clearly that Huawei and its employees have not engaged in any of the activities alleged. We have neither the contracts nor the capabilities to do so, end quote. Huawei has long been suspected of operating as a willing adjunct of Chinese intelligence and security services. The journal does not say that the operations in Zambia and Uganda were directed by Chinese intelligence, nor does it argue that there is anything about Huawei's technology that made it particularly adaptable to surveillance. But The Washington Post notes the lessons seem to be that Huawei is willing and able to work with repressive regimes. Chinese security services have established a template for repressive surveillance against its own Tibetan and Uyghur minorities. It may be that this template is now being exported. Accenture's report on trends in cybercrime suggests the possibility that criminal gangs are adapting their tactics to avoid detection and apprehension. Gangs like Fin7, the Cobalt Group, and the Contact Crew are increasingly turning to what Accenture calls big-game hunting – Their attacks are growing highly targeted towards their victims. The gangs are using not only custom malware, but also commodity attack tools traded on the black market. The higher-end criminals, Accenture concludes, are adapting legitimate tools like Metasploit, Cobalt Strike, and Meterpreter to illicit purposes. It's also noteworthy that some of the gangs, including Fin 7, have survived the arrest of some of their ringleaders and continue to prosper. There's an attack defense seesaw, And for now, the attack side seems to be rising. New research points out that in 2020, there will be more positions in cybersecurity than people with the skills to fill them. Taylor Armording, who writes about this topic for Synopsys, a software company, says his focus is on cybersecurity and privacy. How important are credentials in the cybersecurity field, especially when you start talking about a forecasted shortfall?
2: I would say they are important, but they're not as important as other things. Um, uh, in fact, there was a, a blog post on uh, a site called Indeed that was saying one of the problems with job postings is that they tend to demand credentials that aren't really necessary. You know, I would say that you need some tech training and, and that sort of stuff, but you can be trained on the job. And then besides that, once you have done some work, credentials come with experience, I guess you'd say, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, demonstrating that you can do a job is much, much more important than a degree or, you know, some other kind of um, certificate, certification, things like that.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the forecasted numbers in the shortfall? Because in your article here, it says that officials estimate that job growth in the sector is going to be at like 30%, 37% a year, at least to, through 2022, and that's conservative.
2: The U.S., the United States job shortage is an estimated 300,000 jobs. In other words, unemployment is below zero, which is kind of interesting. And worldwide, that figures in the millions. Uh, supposedly, two years from now, one of the estimates I saw said that two years from now, the worldwide job shortage of skills will be uh, 3.5 million. And I I think that's because, as I said in that in that story, the the threats are increasing. the The bad guys and the tools that the bad guys use are more sophisticated. So the threats are expanding, they're increasing, and there's an increasing need for skilled cybersecurity workers. You may be familiar with the RSA conference, the annual conference out in San Francisco that's probably the biggest security conference. I went to that for the first time about six years ago, and there were maybe, I think, 25,000 people. Now there's close to 50,000 people. So it is a (laughs) explosively growth industry, I would say.
0: A lot of people who are volunteering in this field of educating and, and working with nonprofits to help get the youth involved, they're saying there is um, a lack of support in the public school system and in the education system altogether. Do you have any thoughts on that? It seems like our
2: legacy educational system is not designed to, for rapid response. Kind of gets entrenched in a certain model, which doesn't mean it doesn't do anything well. It does a lot of things well. But when something like this happens, you know, you've got a lot of teachers who have tenure and who aren't going anywhere for anywhere from 10 to 30 years. Meanwhile, the need for tech training for, you know, for the STEM fields is explosively growing. It's one of those things that just, it's very difficult. It's like, you know, as the, one of the images is trying to trying to turn an ocean liner on a dime or something like that. It's just not geared for rapid response. That said, it does seem like there are all kinds of initiatives within the industry. There's people who are doing mentoring. It's happening. It's just happening in a very diversified and diffuse, and it's not kind of centered on our educational establishment, which I think will change. But it it ain't going to change real quick, (laughs) I don't think.
0: In your article, you mentioned the lack of diversity in this field yes um how do you suggest that that challenge is tackled
2: part of it i think is awareness like just about anything when people become aware of a problem that's at least a first step because once they're aware of it they at least have a tendency to support or even take some initiatives themselves Um, i mentioned in the story a, a guy named gary mcgraw for a number of years had a podcast called the silver bullet podcast and he decided, I think it was in 2017, to interview only women. And it was easy to find them. There were some outstanding female stars in the field. He said, I, I'm, I'm quoting, if you go to your typical panel at a conference, it's mostly men. There are women involved who, be, who can be role models, but we need to make sure that schools aren't set up to discourage that. You need to encourage minorities. You need to encourage women. Because they, they're they just as smart as the guys are. But there has been you know, a sense that this is a guy's field, and it, it must not be, because there aren't enough guys to do it. You need everybody.
0: That's Taylor Armerding from Synopsis. An update on the case of the accused Capital One Bank data breach hacker. There's a speculation that Paige Thompson, who went by the online handle Erratic, was involved in cyber incidents affecting as many as 30 other organizations. Observers speculated the other incidents may have been exaggerated if they occurred at all. But this week, prosecutors filed additional court documents indicating that they had indeed found evidence of those alleged cyber crimes compromising other organizations. The Justice Department said most of the compromised files did not contain personal information, but they informed the court that they expected to file additional charges in the case. Thompson remains in federal custody. And some good news for cyber law enforcement. Credit card skimmers, the bane of gas station customers, can now be spotted with a tool called Blutana. The device is the product of joint research by the University of California, San Diego, and the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, with technical input from the U.S. Secret Service. Blutana seems to enjoy a high success rate, but there are legitimate devices that can look like card skimmers to the scanner. So the system gives investigators indicators as opposed to conclusive evidence that a skimmer is present on any given gas pump. That's still valuable. Blutana helps tell police that they should take a second look. The research surrounding Blutana suggests why criminals find it worth their while to deploy card skimmers at gas pumps. They realize a profit quickly. A principal investigator on the project wrote, based on the prior figures... They estimate the range of per day revenue from a skimmer is about $4,200, and on the high end, an estimate of $60,000. And why gas pumps? For the most part, they're outdoors and unattended, so installing a skimmer is a low-risk, high-reward proposition. The U.S. Secret Service involvement isn't surprising. While the service is best known for presidential security, it's primarily responsible for investigating federal financial crimes, and it's often called in to look into cases of fraud at the gas pump. And if you're running a business in the United States, it may be worth the time to get to know your local Secret Service office.
1: visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben Salem. She's the Senior R&D Manager for Security at Accenture Labs. It's always great to have you back. You and I have been talking about the trip you recently made to RightsCon, uh, and one of the topics of discussion there was how to deal with disinformation campaigns online. What can you share with us?
3: Yeah, so uh, one of the interesting conversations in that conference was about, you know, freedom of expression on the Internet versus censorship. The voices that are asking now for more control and more moderation of what gets published on the Internet, uh, in particular after the, of all the disinformation campaigns that we've seen throughout election cycles, for instance, the video of Nancy Pelosi a few months ago. So the question is, how, how can we fight disinformation? Whether there are any viable approaches, techniques, and can we do it without censorship, right? <laughs> without turning mm-hmm. into, while keeping the internet the way we know it, as a platform for free expression.
1: So what were some of the ideas tossed around?
3: It seems that there is a consensus that we definitely need to develop standards of internet transparency and integrity. We also need to limit space for impersonators, existing platforms. Anybody can create an unlimited number of accounts in an anonymous anonymous manner. The question is, do we need to have more checks to to check that the, the people creating accounts are really, you know, physical people as opposed to bots, right, that can start building or uh, propagating information uh, without them representing people in the real world. Mm. Uh, so they don't reflect the, the public opinion in, in the real world.
1: Right. But then I suppose there's a, there are legitimate needs for anonymity online as well.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's really one of the advantages of um of the internet. That gets also, I guess, reflected by the development of uh, platforms like blockchain and Ethereum, where you see platforms being created that are decentralized, distributed, and people can join anonymously. That reflects the the need for anonymity. It's still a trade-off. I don't think anybody would say that we need to completely remove the ability for people to interact in an anonymous manner but limiting the space for impersonators is what's needed limiting that space meaning checking for bots that really have more harmful impact
1: yeah i mean what, what a challenge to to try to have uh you know community standards when you have truly a global community.
3: Especially as we see also that the impersonation techniques are are changing and are evolving, right? Mm-hmm. Now you see uh, these bots infiltrating authentic social groups, right? So it's not like, you know, one bot that's broadcasting wrong information uh, on their own, but they're really infiltrating the, the more closed groups and, and domestic social media dialogue. How do you detect that? <laughs> it's not straightforward, but I think we need to do more research and come up with some ways of, again, not completely limiting this, but perhaps limiting the space for these impersonators.
1: Yeah, it strikes me too that there's one of the things that by automating, the ability to automate these things, that that enables an, an asymmetry that I, I don't know that we had to deal with before, that. The scale and velocity at which folks who are out there to spread misinformation and so forth can do so—it's a different ball game than it used to be.
3: Absolutely, the automation of the fast propagation of these uh, of this misinformation is is at an unprecedented scale, but also uh, the automation of generating misinformation, automatically generating defakes. Right? We've never mm. seen that before. Automatically generating. Videos that mimic a real person that look really like a real person and that that are hard to detect in real time—that's an absolutely new challenge, and it will continue to grow uh, as we make use of, you know, GANs, general adversarial networks to perform or to build these deep fakes. So it, it's a challenge that will continue to grow and we need to work with the social media companies to come up with some common standards where we can identify these deep fakes and synthetic data.
1: Interesting stuff for sure. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network.